Life presents various issues with a multitude of solutions. Having issues is easy. Getting to the solutions is hard. If you're up for a good challenge, stay tuned and welcome to Qualified Issues. Welcome, I am Carissa Galloway, and for this podcast episode, we're going to talk about identifying needed changes. Um, So the first step to this is being able to identify issues that need changes. Um, And to do that, we also have to further go down the rabbit hole and differentiate between trauma with the T, drama with the D, and actual issues. Not that trauma with the T is not an issue, but we want, we don't want to focus on trauma with this. We want to focus on just kind of your everyday issues. So um, to define trauma, I am going to look at um, the American Psychological Association. So on their website at apa.org, when I googled it, I'm sure there's more to the website than that, but it says, quote, trauma is an emotional response to a terrible event, like an accident, rape, or natural disaster. Immediately after the event, shock and denial are typical. Longer-term reactions include unpredictable emotions, flashbacks, strained relationships, and even physical symptoms like headaches and nausea, end quote. Now, for the same organization at dictionary.apa.org, trauma is defined as, quote, any disturbing experience that results in significant fear, helplessness, dissociation, confusion, or other disruptive feelings intense enough to have a long-lasting negative effect on a person's attitudes, behavior, and other aspects of functioning. Traumatic events include those caused by human behavior, in parentheses, it says rape, war, industrial accidents, as well as by nature, again in parentheses, earthquakes, and often challenge an individual's view of the world as a just, safe, and predictable place, end quote. On MiriamWebster.com, trauma is defined in two ways, uh, quote, an injury, in parentheses, such as a wound, to living tissue caused by an extrinsic agent, extrinsic agents, so something outside. Uh, the second definition they have is, quote, a disordered psychic or behavioral state resulting from severe mental or emotional stress or physical injury, end quote. TheFreeDictionary.com defines trauma in three ways. Uh, the first one is injury. The second one is psychological or emotional damage. And the third one is defined in the framework of psychic trauma. The psychic trauma definition is, quote, a psychologically upsetting experience that produces an emotional or mental health disorder or otherwise lasting negative effects on a person's thoughts, feelings, or behaviors, end quote. And then finally, we have at dictionary.cambridge.org, trauma is defined as, quote, severe and lasting emotional shock and pain caused by an extremely upsetting experience or a case of such shock happening, end quote. So there's a few words in all of these definitions that if you want to define something as trauma, um, that we need to focus on. Um, So terrible, 
So terrible event. Notice that all the event uh, examples listed here are pretty horrific events. Um, we talk, they talk about long-term reactions, long-term reactions, um, disturbing experiences, uh, disruptive feelings intense enough to have a long-lasting negative effect. Um, let's see here, the other one I was looking at, uh, the word severe. Uh, severe uh, and lasting. So when you're thinking about trauma, again with a T, we're thinking about things that are not mild or moderate um, uh, in in experience. You know, we're talking about very severe uh, events or phenomena that are having a severe and long-lasting intense effect on a person's uh, one or more aspects of a person person's functioning. Okay, so let's move on to the word drama with the D. Um, we have dictionary.com has two definitions here. The first is quote, any situation or series of events having vivid, emotional, conflicting, or striking interest or results, end quote. Uh, the other one is quote, the quality of being dramatic. End quote. Merriam-Webster has two definitions as well. There's there's more, but we're focused on um, what would relate to mental health. Those are the definitions that I'm focused on. So getting back to Merriam-Webster, it says, a state, situation, or series of events involving interesting or intense conflict of forces. And the second definition is, quote, dramatic state, effect, or quality, end quote. And then the last one is, TheFreeDictionary.com defines trauma two ways. Uh, the first one is, quote, a situation or succession of events in real life having the dramatic progression or emotional effect characteristic of a play, end quote. And the second one is, quote, the quality or condition of being dramatic, end quote. So you can go back and, and listen to the definitions of trauma with a T and kind of compare those to the um, definitions here on drama with the D uh, that I read and you can I mean you can just see and hear a stark difference in um, what is defined as drama with the D and what is defined as trauma with the T and I keep saying it because I don't know if, if the uh, my D's and T's are actually coming through clearly okay so then we're going to move on to defining an issue and this is um, through Merriam-Webster um, and everything in terms of definitions, these are all in quotations. Um, the first one is a vital or unsettled matter. Second is a concern, problem. Third, a matter that is in dispute between two or more parties. The freedictionary.com also has three. Uh, the first is a point of matter of discussion, debate, or dispute. The second is a problem or difficulty. And the third is a personal problem. Britannica.com has three. The first is problems or concern. The second is to have problems that make you unhappy and difficult to deal with. And the third is to have reasons for disliking someone or something, to disagree with or disapprove of someone or something. So um, that those are very good definitions for kind of what we want to tackle here um, is issues. Now, I do want to give you also the professional take on uh, differentiating between these three uh, these three terms. Uh, PsychologyToday.com has an article called Stress is Not Trauma from June 2017 by Dr. Michael S. Sharinga. Um, he does say 
that professionals using the term trauma have a, quote, higher level of responsibility to use the terms more precisely, end quote. And that is true, even though um, as a therapist, you know, I am not a medical doctor, but if I am making a diagnosis of, for example, post-traumatic stress disorder, there should be some trauma involved there. Um, so we are held to a higher level of responsibility um, in, in terms of how we use the words issues, drama, and trauma. Um, he also says this, quote, when the term trauma is used loosely in the professional sphere, it can be because folks have different motivations, end quote. Um, I'm kind of 50-50 on, on agreeing with him on this, but it is important to examine your own motivations in choosing specific words or phrases. Ask yourself questions like, what is it you want to convey? Are you doing that factually and honestly? Do the words you choose to use reflect that honesty and those facts? Um, if you look at very young children, especially those, especially those who might have been neglected emotionally, um, relationally by one or more parents, you can kind of see where there's um, some exaggeration sometimes in what they say um, is going on with them because they are usually looking for that attention. Um, and so though that if that ends up being a light, a childhood long, you know, coping mechanism, which again, a coping mechanism is not healthy. Um, you can unfortunately carry that over into adulthood. And so you want to kind of, again, ask yourself, what are your motivations in using and choosing specific words and phrases? Um, in Frontier, frontiersin.org, uh, this is Frontiers in Psychology, the uh, article's by Valerie Krupnik in June 2020. The title is Trauma or Drama, a Predictive Processing Perspective on the Continuum of Stress. This was a very in-depth article, very scientific. There's a lot of neurological information in there, which I definitely encourage uh, you to read if you're up for a challenging read. Um, but it will really help you understand kind of how the brain is related to um perspectives, you know, perspective making. Okay. Um, so in here, she does talk about how defining trauma culturally and medically, those lines are blurred enough to create a barrier that would bring medical and mental health professionals and, and just even um, non-professional people to an agreement, a mutual agreement on the actual definition of trauma. Um, trauma is strongly linked to PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And the author cites an article from 1991 um, with uh, the last name Terror, T-E-R-R. Um, and you can find article details in Krupnik's article if you look it up. But um, the article she cites provides a type 1 trauma that is a single event and a type 2 that is built up um, from traumatic events occurring over time to the same individual. So um, I think she uses the word cumulative. So we're just stacking trauma upon trauma over time. Uh, trauma is discussed in this article as, quote, the subjective experience of stress. And I definitely want to emphasize the word subjective. So remember, objective is where somebody can step back without any of the same biases that you might have as the person going through the event and be able to say, okay, you know, 
this is how it looks from my perspective. So you're getting an objective perspective. Uh, refer back to the need for external appraisal in getting, increasing, and or maintaining self-awareness from the last podcast. Um, you need the external appraisal because the benefits are you're going to get that that external appraisal's objectivity. So a really good example is um, if uh, if a small child comes up to you and they've uh, not hard at all, but maybe even just brush their, their elbow on a wall and they are, they come to you, they're limping, they're crying. You as the parent or caretaker can then be that objective external appraisal machine and say, you know what? There's no marks on here. There's no bruising. There's no cuts. There's no bleeding. I think you're going to be okay. All right. So that's a good example of how it is important when you feel any kind of stress to not just, um, you know, self-observe and self-examine your perspective of that stressful event, but to also get um, some external appraisal, some objectivity um, in, in, in terms of having a uh, close to as factual as possible awareness of what that event is. Um, so another topic she hits on, and this is um, sort of a subtitle of one section of her paper, is, quote, psych- psychopathology as false inference, end quote. So a mental health issue or maybe even a TBI, traumatic brain injury, it may cause the brain to interpret or perceive an event as a trauma erroneously. So everybody knows if you have moderate to severe anxiety, if you have moderate to severe, um, uh, you know, a personality disorder, uh, really any kind of mental health issue, and of course, obviously a TBI, it can, it can adjust your thinking to wrongly, wrongly label something as a trauma when maybe it's more an issue. It could be a severe issue, but it may not fit into the the context of what trauma actually is. Um, the author also notes that depression is another type of stress response. Can you think of other ways people respond to stress? The possibilities are endless, of course, but here's a few. Some people shut down. Some people isolate. Some have sleeping issues, insomnia or hypersomnia, where they're sleeping too much. Some people have eating issues where they're binge eating or they're not eating enough. And some people just feel anger and others avoid the the issue that's causing the stress in the first place. Now, these responses do not necessarily point to trauma as the cause. So my take on this is that individuals may dramatize an issue or problem or concern for a number of reasons. Number one, they could have had poor modeling by adults in their childhood. Maybe they were never taught coping skills as a child. Maybe they were able to skip, uh, stick to those unhealthy coping mechanisms as a child and just never learned a, a better way to handle some of the stresses they were going through. Um, and there is definitely a need uh, for the ability to differentiate and that need emphasizes the need for honest, truthful self-awareness before trying to identify issues that demand change in you and in your life. So before you look at something as an issue, number one, you want to have that honest, truthful self-awareness, maybe get some um 
external appraisal so you have that objectivity in there also and then really think on it is this an issue is this a trauma or am I dramatizing this um all right, so let's talk about actual issues. Um, these, again, we are not going into the term trauma, right? We're not, we're not touching that. We're dealing with just issues, everyday issues in life. Um, okay, so the first thing is we want to differentiate between wants versus needs. Now, one of the best ways to identify needs um, is to look at Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There's five levels. There's physiological or basic needs. The second level is safety or security needs. The third level is love, belonging, and social needs. The fourth level is esteem. And the fifth level, the highest level, is self-actualization. And I will say self-actualization does require self-awareness, and you'll see what I mean as we kind of go through these. So the first level, physiological or basic needs, talk about breathing, food, water, excretion, sleep, homeostasis. Um, obviously, you need to breathe to live. You need food to live. You need to drink water to live. You have to be able to excrete waste from your body to live. You have to have decent sleep to live. And to live a long life, really, you do need homeostasis, which is the biological balance of the physical body. So the physiological or basic needs, as you can see, are all about staying alive, staying alive. Okay, so that is our number one goal in life, right, is to live. So the second need is safety or security needs. And on here we see uh, protecting against bodily harm, having provision um, such as um, income so that we can have food and shelter and clothing and health and all that stuff. And the third one is health. The fourth one is property security. So making sure that your shelter and your resources are secure. And the fifth one is safety of family. That could also be friends. Uh, some people consider their friends their family. Um, the third basic need category here is love, belonging, and social needs. And this includes friendship, family, sexual intimacy, which for some people can relate to physiological needs under certain circumstances, um, and spiritual um, so for spiritual, I wrote down, this could mean, um, being part of a church, a synagogue or a mosque, um, studying different religious texts, uh, prayer for Buddhists. I know that it's chanting. So I, whatever, however you communicate to whatever higher power that you follow and then also fellowship. So just having a group of like spiritually like-minded individuals that you, um, have some sort of relationship with. The fourth, um, the fourth uh, category in uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is esteem. And so, you know, here we have taken care of living. We have safety and security. We feel like we have a good support system, family, friendship. And now we're, we're okay, self-esteem, confidence, achievement, respect of others, and respect by others. So this is, um, you can see, you know, just respect of others, respect by others, that is kind of built off your social interactions. Um, achievement, confidence, self-esteem. Well, self-esteem and confidence can lead to achievement. Right. And having that support system in the previous category that we talked about, friendship and family and so forth, can lead to self-esteem and confidence. Um, the fifth 
category in the hierarchy of needs is self-actualization, and this does require self-awareness. Um, the first, uh, the fir this has six items in the list here. The first one is morality. So I would refer back to the last podcast where we talked about Rose Skeeter's moral compass, uh, definitely something to Google and look up and, and work on. Um, the second one is creativity. Creativity is a really great way for people to express themselves, especially when you don't have words for something. Um, so if, if you want to, you know, you're really angry, but you don't want to talk about it, sometimes finding a creative outlet is a good way to do that. Um, number three, it said spontaneity alone, but I think that that also relates to risk taking. So again, in the last podcast, we talked about risk taking as trying something new, trying something different. Excuse me, I think that was in the, the second uh, podcast, episode two on focus. Um, and number four, problem solving. And number three and number four here kind of go hand in hand, because if you're trying something new, trying something different, and maybe you don't succeed the first time, you are automatically put into problem solving mode as long as you do not walk away from that challenge, walk away from that learning opportunity. Uh, number five is identification of biases and prejudices. These are things that a lot of us can kind of see in ourselves, but I would also include this would be an important part um, of your needs to invite an external appraisal to get that objectivity, because we all have some biases and prejudices that we're not aware of either. So sometimes it's good to get that um, outside opinion. And then the last uh, number six on the self-actualization list is acceptance of facts. This is not an easy thing for everybody. Um, sometimes uh, facts do not, um, are not things that we necessarily agree with. So but it says here that, you know, for self-actualization, acceptance of facts is, is warranted. So, all right, so identifying wants. So that was all needs. Now we want to identify wants. Um, sometimes we want the best things, the newest things. Um, not Wants are usually things that don't contribute to our needs. So it's important, therefore, to prioritize our wants. So first of all, you should have your basic needs and safety needs covered first, okay, at the least, at the bare minimum. Um, and then you want to ask yourself, which wants can you afford? Remember, we want to be financially responsible. Uh, the third uh, step I have here for prioritizing wants, uh, so I said, you know, step one, make sure your basic needs and safety needs are covered. Step two, which wants can you afford? Step three is which wants are beneficial to your needs? Um, and then step four, what is the motivation behind each want? In other words, why do you want it? Okay. And I want to emphasize here um, that not having something that is a quote unquote want is not considered a trauma. It is not a traumatic event to not get something that you, that you want. It can become a drama by reacting in an unparalleled, unnecessary manner. For example, um, let's say that you have a phone. It works perfectly. You want the newest phone, but maybe uh, mom and dad won't give it to you. Your boss won't give you um, a, a pay advance, and you become overly upset. Um, that would be creating a drama. Um, so that would be a time where you probably need to go and 
take a look at your perspective and uh, work on some self-awareness and see if you really are overreacting to this um, or, or if it truly is something that you actually need, right? Um, so we want to um, measure the severity of an issue and you can do this by using Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So the closer to the basic need, which is the first category, remember that is just being able to live. That's uh, water, food, breathing, okay? The closer to a basic need the issue is, the more severe it usually is. So for example, physical abuse, which would fall under safety and security needs, is trauma. Whereas someone teasing you, it's hurtful, but it's more of a social problem. It's an issue. Okay, so that would be a really good example of an issue. Um, so let's say we are here, we, you know, somebody has been uh, talking mean to us. Well, first of all, we want to use self-awareness to number one, identify it. Number two, reflect on it. And number three, create any needed boundaries. Okay, the second thing I would say when dealing with an issue also is you need to learn when it's appropriate to use the phrase, not my problem. Part of building healthy boundaries and avoiding issues that don't belong to you is using that phrase, not my problem. Okay. Um, now, obviously, you're not going to verbally say that to everybody, but even just saying it to yourself in your head to remind yourself that is not my issue. It does not belong to me. That is not my responsibility. It's not mine. So I, I don't have to worry about it. And it will also kind of help you. Uh, at least steer steer away, if not steer clear, from unnecessary drama. If you've ever had a friend who who loves to stir the hornet's nest, so to speak, and everything is a big deal, right? In other words, everything is a drama. After a while, it kind of wears you down. So being able to tell yourself, this is not my problem, is a great way to avoid that unnecessary drama. All right, moving on to identifying needed changes. So before you start doing changes in yourself or in your life, um, understand and accept that change takes time. Patience is a virtue and it is an, a necessity when you want to work th through change, okay, towards change. So number one, using self-awareness. And you can see now why I did a self-awareness podcast and a focus podcast before I did, hey, let's identify some changes here, okay? Um you need to observe yourself, first of all. Second, observe, observe others or the environment that's involved in that issue. Okay, and then this is where we are at. We're going to move into also including the trans-theoretical model of change. Um, this was briefly described in the first episode on change. So we're kind of now, we've obser observed ourselves, others, the environment, and now we're going to move into contemplation. Um, we're going to reflect on the event. We're going to reflect on ourselves. We're going to reflect on others and on the environment because all of those things are typically involved in any given event or issue. The next thing we're going to do within contemplation stage is create a list of change or changes that need to be made. And then the third thing we're going to do is write out the purpose of making these changes. This can help with ongoing motivation throughout the change process. Uh, this is also a really good way to determine how much of an issue this is. Is this really something 
that requires me to put up boundaries with somebody else? Is this something that requires me to change my environment? Okay, so make sure you understand what the purpose of making a change is. Uh, the next step, uh, this is actually stage two, the trans-theoretical model of change, preparation. Here we want to list things that are needed to make the change or changes happen. These could be physical items, emotional items, spiritual items, um, so like a support person or people, um, maybe some coping skills to assist in emotional control, uh, maybe uh, spiritual on the spiritual end, including some religious texts that you read daily, uh, a group that you go to weekly, maybe some chants or some prayers that you feel will be supportive. And this is also where we're going to consider boundaries for ourselves, boundaries uh, for other people, and ba maybe boundaries for the environment, okay, as needed. Uh, in the preparation stage also, this is really important because you will run into barriers and hurdles, so have solutions ready. Having those solutions ready is going to be essential to maintain the change. And then finally, you want to create a timeline or a schedule related to the actions needed to affect the change, to make the change happen. So now we're moving into the action stage of the trans-theoretical model of change. And here, I mean, it's very simple. This is where you start doing what you decided to do to make the change happen. And then the next stage is maintenance. And this is where you and you maybe you need other people to tell you too, but tell yourself, don't give up. Keep using the resources you created in the preparation stage and that are working for you in the action stage. The maintenance stage is super, super important. If you don't have everything that you need to start and maintain a change, a lot of times that's where people give up. So make sure that you keep using those resources. And then the last stage in the trans-theoretical model of change is termination. This is not where we stop changing. This is not where we revert back to the thoughts uh, or behaviors or interactions that we were having before. Instead, this is where you no longer need those things. You don't need those resources. You don't need that support. You've got this. You can maintain the change on your own. But I will say, do not stop using things in the maintenance stage until you are 110% sure that you no longer need them anymore. Okay, so now we're going to use a real-life example. Um, I want to thank my 16-year-old son for giving me this example. So he went to Six Flags with a friend, and he texted me saying he ate a funnel cake and basically said he doesn't want to go on any rides because uh, he's afraid he's going to be sick. So this is a good example of him being aware at least of his physical self, okay, and the environment that is involved. Uh, so he was basically contemplating with me, I guess as his external appraisal machine over text. And so he reflected on the event of... Uh, missing out on rides, but wanting to go on rides, but not feeling like he would uh, not throw up on a ride. Um, and so the change that needed to happen uh, was his perspective, right? He was looking at this as, uh, I said, go on the swing ride. And he said, oh, no, it goes up too high. And I'm like, you'll be fine. Your sister did it. Um, and he goes, but I don't have control. And I said, he wants to be a 
possibly the Navy SEAL someday. I said, how are you going to jump out of an airplane if you can't go on the swing ride? So um, we talked about, you know, changing the way we think about it. And the whole purpose of uh, making that perspective change was to help him see things differently so that he was able to go on a ride. So he's only, he had only been at one, on one ride at that point in time. So being in the preparation stage, making a list of things uh, that you need uh, in order to have change happen. So physically, he's not feeling well. So one thing that we might need there is to let our tummy, you know, calm down a little bit um, emotionally. And I would say even mentally need to work on um, prepping our minds uh, to make that perspective change so that we can go on it. And then obviously uh, his support people would be mom, <laughs> which is fine with me. Um, so then, and the coping skills in this, obviously, to help him with sort of emotional control so he's not completely terrified of this ride, um, is again to change the perspective, change how we think about it, how we see it. Um, and there's, you know, really the boundaries here are more for himself to be able to see this ride as something exciting and new and challenging instead of something terrifying and scary. Um, and really within giving him the suggestion of uh, preparing his mind. So I said, you know, as you're going up a hill, just prepare your mind. Okay, here we go. We're going to go on a drop. Let's go. Okay. That is going to help him with any barriers or hurdles while he's on the ride. And that should help him maintain the change that he needs uh, perspective wise in order to make it through the whole ride. Um, and really there's no, uh, timeline or schedule needed. Uh, the ride will end when it ends. So he doesn't have control over that. Um, and the action obviously is going to be just going on the ride and then using those, uh, suggestions and tools and supports to make it through, um, maintenance, uh, don't give up. <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't get in line and, and then halfway through the line or right up to the beginning of the line, then say, Oh, nope, cannot get on the ride vehicle. Um, and so, uh, you know, we're just, I'm just kind of hoping that he's going to hold on to those resources uh, from the preparation stage uh, in order for him to get on the ride. And then uh, if he does get on the ride, I, I, knowing my son, I guarantee once that first drop is over, he's going to be in heaven and absolutely love it. So um, that's just a very, uh, I guess, uh, small issue, you know, but um, it's a really very basic, simple example of how to use the trans-theoretical model of change um, to to help you um, improve uh, on something for yourself or uh, deal with an issue, find some solutions, things like that. Um, another really good example, and I've used this example in earlier podcasts, is oral care. Um, so let's say that you've, uh, you grew up and maybe you guys never went to the dentist, you know, you didn't have the money for the dentist, no health insurance or anything. Um, so as an adult, you know, you want to make a change and that change is going to be, you want to improve your, your oral health. Um, so, uh, you know, we're going to contemplate it, right? Okay, so, well, yeah, I need it. I need some oral health. And uh, I want to observe the environment. Well, do I have the tools that I need? No. Um, and the purpose of making the changes so that I have um, more uh, or be better oral health, um, which is going to give me a good outcome 
down the road. So the preparation would be listing out the things that uh, this person needs. Well, they're going to need some physical items, right? Floss, mouthwash, toothbrush, maybe even a water pick, maybe choosing a dentist. Like we're just going to assume they finally got some uh, dental insurance. And they are going to create a timeline uh, a schedule. Okay, well, I'm going to brush my teeth at 6 a.m., at 1 p.m., and then at 8 p.m. before I go to bed. I'm going to floss, brush, and rinse. And then they're going to take the action by doing that. And um, in the preparation stage, maybe also they'll have a roommate or a family member, or just a friend, um, or an alarm on their phone, something that's going to remind them, hey, it's time to go take care of your oral care. So they're going to start doing it, and then the maintenance, they're going to keep using those reminders, that alarm, that uh, person calling or texting maybe to remind them to, to take care of their teeth three times a day. And then once they feel like it becomes more habitual, more automatic, that's when they're going to enter the termination stage, and they're no longer going to need that kind of support to continue with their oral care. So those are two very basic examples. Um, some issues, of course, are obviously more severe, some are more mild, but you kind of get the gist of how to use the trans-theoretical model of change in pretty much any issue that you have in life. So um, this podcast, Identifying Needed Changes, um, but also kind of how to pursue that change. Uh, so it's a sort of dual purpose podcast here. Um, so anyway, let's remember that a podcast is never a substitute for therapy. If you have any questions or comments, you can feel free to email me at fortheloveoftherapy at gmail.com. That's fortheloveoftherapy at gmail.com. I'm Carissa Galloway for Qualified Issues. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time. 